It's Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. Okie dokie then. Welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted uh, sporadically. You should never, you should never post sporadically. It's, um, it's Media Project 101. should be regular um, and consistent. Uh, mine's kind of regularly, consistently sporadic. There's still episodes going up. But it's not as regularly consistent as Season 1 that uh, was last year. New listeners, there's 50 episodes from Season 1. Um, we're up to uh, about 60-something now in total, Season 1 and 2. Trying to get to 26 for this year, which would be, um, what's that, 76 for both years. Um, here's a time-old here's a time old uh, intro riff for regulars uh, of this show. I went to think about, seriously think about recording this intro on Friday. Um, it's now Monday morning, beautiful Monday morning, have eaten just the right amount of food, have only had a small amount of existential fear uh, whilst in the shower, which passed, um, the day's looking good, day's looking good, um, not to say that, hang on, I don't want to paint the picture that I'm someone who's kind of been like cowering under my uh, duvet, or duna, as our friends um, in Australia call it, um, not at all, but everyone has a, you know, a little bit of existential fear, that's not the point, I'm going off track, oh god, I, I knew I should write a list. For this intro, I knew I should write a list. Um, not long, folks. My guest will be here shortly um, in recorded form. I'm starting to ramble. Uh, no, I more mean that, that I, for some reason I procrastinate with um, with the, actually. It's like when you have to do anything that's ultimately beneficial for you, like exercise or study or whatever. I, I struggle with these bloody intros. Uh, Jason was great. My guest was Jason Hoyt. Um, very professional, very professional man, um, but also very open and honest. A really um, interesting mix in that regard. Uh, shook hands and straight out the door when he left, uh, when he finished rather. Um, not in a not in a cold way, but in a I'm a man with things to do. But then opened up about things like um, a particular situation when he grew up, uh, and also talked about how robots control Shortland Street, which I found fascinating. Just um, anything about behind the scenes of something so sort of prolific and, and long running in New Zealand. Huge amount of production credits to his name. Uh, he turned up a little early, and I was I was I was cramming late to get uh, a page of, of sort of bullet points on him, um, and it was sort of dawned on me quite close to the episode that uh, that uh, he'd he'd actually done more than I than I realised by a long shot. Um, uh, not, 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 not that it's kind of obscure, unknown stuff. Probably more that I was away for nearly ten years um, in the in the noughties. In the noughties, we're at two minutes forty-five. Um, so I'm going to wrap this uh, intro up presently um, and tell you if you if you want to subscribe, that'd be lovely. Um, you can do that on iTunes and leave a star rating out of um, four or five of the five options. Uh, four or five stars and a comment would be great. Hasn't been a comment put up probably for about a year now. Um, it's always good when uh, unsuspecting member of the public get feedback from people who've listened. Can also like the show on Facebook, Doctor Tenants. No, oh god, oh I don't want to start this again. I don't want to start this again. I normally I would. It's actually Verbal Highs podcast on Facebook and uh, Verbal Highs on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Hoyt. Thanks, hello, Tao. This is Doctor Tenants Verbal Highs. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> voice, voice professional. Well, I work in radio now, mate. So you know. Um, but you do a lot of voice work. Yeah, in I do. General, don't you? Yeah. Um, ever since I got into acting, really, it was one of those things that you got to have a few, um, a few other skills other than the acting in order to survive. So I did a lot of reality programs, like um, you know, Border Patrol and Dog Squad and Coast Watch and all that sort of stuff. Which actually, at the end of the day, was um, you know my kind of lifeblood for a while. Seminal. And it's great because you just sit in a studio drinking coffee and reading scripts, and they pay you well. Sem- seminal New Zealand programming. Yes, yeah, but indeed. so you're not the voice of those shows anymore. You sort of. Said oh that no, I, st- I still do that. Um, the reality is, you know, when I I do radio full time now, so. You know, it's really, and it's the same with my acting work. It's what I can do 
in terms of still being able to do the radio every day and you know filming and other other work is kind of difficult to do so it has to be very carefully managed but if you're like the i mean i know this from voiceover work with um I was going to say commercial stuff, it's all commercial, but I'm meaning commercials in the advertising sense. If a company has a voice, like the voice of Pack and Save, yes, indeed. surely they they want to re- retain you, like, so... Oh, yeah, I mean, and, and particularly... they find a voice alike. Well, they, you know, I remember I, um, I do a, a show called Dog Squad. Yeah. And I'd been doing it for about oh, three years, and TVNZ suddenly decided that they wanted a new voice. And um, and I was in this really weird situation. So I said, okay, well, that's fine. You know, it's not my decision. But then I ended up going back in and re-auditioning for the job of the voice of Dog Squad. And it was kind of weird because I'd done three series. So, you know, that's probably the longest audition tape that they could ever watch. But actually what ended up happening is they went back to me anyway. So it was just this huge palaver and, and nothing actually changed. Of the, on the Dog Squad thing, I'll, um, I'll introduce you. Uh, Jason Hoyt is a screen and voice actor, comedian uh, and radio host, who's, there's a reference to Dog Squad in here, um, who's graced a wide range of projects on our screens and airwaves. Um, so much so, in fact, mate, that I didn't know um, what to include in this list. Um, from what we do in the shadows to Radio Hadaki's Daily Bouja to the Alternative Commentary Collective to the voice of TV smash hit Dog Squad, uh, he, he, has a, he has an honorary degree from the New Zealand Radio School and um, uh, another guest who has a Billy T Award um, on the bookshelf. Yes, I do, actually. Um, when I was part of a duo, Sugar and Spice, with yeah. John, the great Johnny Bruff. And, and um, actually, that year was funny for the Billy T's because I think Raider got the Billy T as well, yeah. uh, to Raider. Brendan Lovegrove got it uh, and Johnny and I as Sugar and Spice got it. Um, and I think what they were basically trying to do is uh, just get rid of us all in one go. You know what I mean? Rather than to do it year by year, they said, oh, look, let's just get rid of these guys because they're going to annoy the crap out of us otherwise. So we'll just give them all a Billy T this year and, and say, be done with it. It's not typical to, to have no, m- no. multiple. What a clump of talent in one year. Yeah, well, I mean. Um, but that sort of fit, that fits in with. Um, I've talked with you guests about this sort of the, the, the age of. of what we'll roughly call stand-up in New Zealand probably sure. makes sense that a number of people had honed their honed their chops by then, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I went to school with Brendan Lovegrove. I went to oh, right. Dilworth Boarding School. Right. And so we've always been great mates. And I actually met Johnny Bruff through Brendan Lovegrove because Brendan Lovegrove went to Sacred Heart for his final year at school. Um, and so Johnny Bruff went to Sacred Heart. Yeah. So we all kind of formed a band of brothers, really, and Radar... Uh, I've known all that time as well. So we were very much of a generation um, in terms of, you know, we lived together, we played together, um, we won awards together occasionally. Uh, most of the time, to be honest, it was a debacle. But, yeah, I think I think there's a generational thing. I mean, comedy, the stand-up scene had started um, well before us, of course. Um, not but, hugely but, but before, though. No, not hugely yeah, before. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. You've got your Alan Bros, um, your Corbett Brothers, uh, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I guess we were the next sort of generation to sort of come along. So, yeah, I mean, Raids and Brendan and, and Johnny and I were very much of a group. So what was the diet that, um, that motivated everyone? Like, you, you know, New Zealand media was pretty sparse and desolate back then was it you know i mean i mean in terms of what we were being fed from overseas yeah things like the young ones monty well, python oh yeah i mean i was into all that stuff but you know yeah. it was one of those weird things because when i was at school um i was always the class idiot you know yeah. that, and, and right back for as far as i can remember actually i was the comedian and and that was almost a default setting for me um and then in my sort of last three or four years of school I did a lot of drama at school and I did a lot of acting work but I was always told in that regard you know um, and I had a bit of success in that but everyone always told me including my parents of course that you can't make a living doing that sort of nonsense you know which is which is a time old sort of um, uh, parental riff but it it kind of had, well, it had time, a bit more credibility yeah, to it at the was, time. It, because, there was some truth in it know, because the, the yeah. acting industry in New Zealand was still pretty small. Yeah. I mean, the the comedy industry was still really starting out. Yeah. Now, it was still in its infancy, I suppose. And so I think unconsciously I never, even though that was probably my passion, that was what I was always kind of destined to do, unconsciously I think I 
kind of interpreted that in my brain as I can never make a living doing this. Yeah. So it was never kind of a feasible option for me. And so I went to training college um, immediately that I left school. To what? Get a trade? Uh, um, training college as in students, as in teaching. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, that seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a good idea because I'd been at boarding school for nine years and all I really wanted to do was go out and enjoy myself and experience the world. And being back at training college, um, you know, was really like being back at school. And it was a weird choice, really, given that I don't really like kids. <laughs> You've got some now, though. Yeah, no, I, I think they're an exception, though, eh? Oh, and I remember there was a guy, there was a guy um, Ed, who was head of education at, at the training college uh-huh. there. He was the big boss. And, and we used to have a thing called a section where you go away into a classroom for a month and teach and they'd come out and assess you as a teacher and stuff and Ed came along and he watched me teach and he said Jace um, you know I think you'll make an outstanding teacher you will be an outstanding teacher the only problem is I don't think you'll last and I said what do you mean Ed and he said I just don't think you'll stay being a teacher so he, I, he could see that wunderlust well, well, he could yeah. see that wunderlust in he your eyes been, I think yeah, and, yeah. And, and I remember saying to him oh no Ed of course I will no worries, mate. You know, I'm into it. Yeah. And I left three weeks later. So he was right. Wow. But, you know, and then I went to, um, you know, I was having a great time flatting for the first time and with Brendan Lovegrove. Yeah. Um, and Radar was kind of in the picture. So, so sort of like boarding school, except without, except, the, without the prison aspect yeah, yeah, to it. Yeah, without any sort of discipline <laughs> aspect to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we flatted together with another great mate, Martin Lark, who sadly um, is no longer with us. And that's where we met Johnny Bruff. And, and to be honest with you, mate, it was really a, a time of having fun, yeah. you know, and trying to make money where we could. Performing. Um, performing. And both Brendan and I ended up working for Greenpeace for about a year. Yeah. And we made money. Trying, um, trying to sell it to people on the street. Yeah, like literally door to door. Literally door, which was yeah. heinous. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, I've tried um, to do that work before. I tried telemarketing. I lasted a day and a half. I did a bit of telemarketing yeah. as well. It was yeah. just, I, I lied at those things. I pretended to be t- talking to people, you know what I mean? So they'd yeah. go, oh, he's doing well. But no. Um, <laughs> I never thought of that. But, you know, you go and knock on someone's door for Greenpeace door to door, and you yeah. never knew what you were going to get. Yeah. You know, you never knew what was going to do. And, and some people, at that time, actually, luckily for me, Greenpeace was relatively popular. And so generally speaking, the... You know, the reaction was quite a positive one. But occasionally you'd get a real nutter who would just, you know, go off. Someone's here. Someone's at the door. I yeah, can, yeah, yeah. I got bitten a couple of times too yeah. by dogs, of course, when you go into people's property and they they go on the attack. But So I did Greenpeace <laughs> for a while and then sort of I went to university. Yeah. Um, which is what you do when you're, you know, when your parents start hassling you about getting a life. Um, and I did a BA. But to be honest with you, I spent my entire time at the bar. Oh, it's of the era too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which um, uni? Auckland University. Yep. I was studying yep. a BA, and and you know, and in, it's only in hindsight that I can sort of see it. But you know, it was really. In I wanted hi- to in find hindsight, out, you could see what. Well, I could see that I, I I wasn't ready to sort of commit myself to anything. I wanted to experience the world a yeah. little bit, and, and and as it turns out, you know, those those years where I was sort of, I guess you could say, a layabout kind of defined me in a way and, and kind of was the the fuel of my comedy. You know, yeah. Johnny and I and Brendan just hanging out together, going to parties, going to nightclubs, you know, experimenting with certain things, as yeah. you do at that age, you yeah. know. And, um, you know, those kind of were formative in terms of me getting into the whole comedy sort of scene. But you say, I think you say a layabout, maybe your definition's a bit different to others. Like you, you were working, you were going to uni. Yeah. You might've been in the bar a lot, you know, you were holding a flat down. pretty much the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah, We were holding, and and we were, it was, it was a great time in our lives. You know, we were young and, 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 you know, everything seemed possible really. So the bit you haven't mentioned through all of this is, uh, is are you guys going and doing open mics and and Mm. stuff like that at the same time? No, what actually happened there was I was doing a play um, at the Dolphin Theatre, yeah. which is in Ornehunga, and uh, Scotty Blanks, you know yeah. Scotty Blanks yeah. who runs the comedy, yeah. um, he, he was part of the play. It was 12 Angry Men was the play. Good oh. bloody play it was too. But anyway, I, you know, I guess I used to tell amusing stories in between things and while we were rehearsing and so forth. And it was actually Scotty who was running the comedy festival as we know it now. Well, you know, the comedy scene, I guess you'd say. He said to me, Jace, have you ever considered doing stand-up? 
And I said, no, no, I haven't. And he said, well, you really should. I think you'd be really good. And weirdly, rather than go and do stand-up by myself, I immediately thought of Johnny Bruff because we were great mates. We had an absolutely identical sense of humour. And you'd gone, this is who you'd gone, you'd gone through boarding school with him and Brendan, right? Oh, no, I, I met John after boarding after school, school, through, yeah, yeah. through yep. Brendan. Yep. And we'd, we'd been hanging out as mates for about two years, getting into all sorts of mischief and stuff, and having a great time, basically. And I remember saying to Johnny, would you like to do some stand-up? And he went, okay. And so it was a really weird thing. So we did our first ever rookies night. I couldn't even tell you what we did that first night. Well, that was my question. Was I? I totally remember um, Sugar and Spice. I'm from Wellington, so yeah. I wasn't going out to things in Auckland. But I do remember you guys being in comedy festivals. I think you came. You would have come down to Wellington. Yeah, very yeah. much so. So I mean, Bats that's was, that, Bats was our home away from home. That's right. You did a lot of stuff down there. So yeah. how does how does one do a, like when it's you know when it's stand up inverted commas bunny ears um, and there's two of you? Um, I'd imagine it's it's a bit more of a uh, I guess everything's performance, but you know what I mean? It's, is it more like um, skits and so on yeah. than, than yeah. hey, uh, I observed this today Look, as I, I was... Even, I don't think that Johnny and I even really knew what we were doing, to be honest. But it was always no. kind of skit-related. It was yeah. always we would take on characters. Yeah. And, and that just seemed to be the natural way for us to do it. And, and we tried to do things that we found funny, yeah. which is the key to comedy. You can't, you know... The biggest mistake that people can often make in terms of comedy is to try and do something that they think other people will find funny, whereas we just did, oh, you know, we had characters and stuff and we chucked them out there and, and we gave it a bit of a crack and, and people really enjoyed it. And we were like as surprised as anyone, really. Um, and I guess we caught the bug of comedy in terms of performing in front of a live audience and and, and having people really enjoying what we were doing, you know? So... um were you ever just yourselves on stage, or was the whole no. thing in character? No, I don't think we ever were really ourselves. Um, and if we if we were ourselves, then we were a heightened version of ourselves. We were an extreme version of ourselves. You just, have, I mean, you've described doing radio at the same time, haven't you? I, mm. I bet you're not yourself at home on the couch when you're on. No, no. When I, you know, <laughs> once again, that is smoke and mirrors to a certain extent, yeah. as all performances, really. Yeah. And and um, I think that, you know, on, on the radio, I'm probably the most like myself that I that I can ever be in terms of performance. Yeah. But having said that, I'm still not myself. I'm yeah. still. It's still an exaggerated version of myself. And and in radio, particularly, you have to. You know, you have to... Um, Accentuate. The, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the whole theatre of the mind yeah, kind of, yeah. Exactly. So, it, and, But a lot of it, of course, is smoke and mirrors. Have you had um, that sort of awkward scenario where, you know, the public um, expects you to be... Yes. <laughs> it sounds like very often. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, it, come on, I'm just here with my kids, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of, you can't once. bite the hand that feeds you, but... No, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you've got to treat people as, as well as you can. You know, yeah. I... I do a lot of selfies and stuff like that. And, yeah. I, and I don't, especially with Lee Hart, you know, he's a, a big, um, you know, people love taking self, selfies with Lee. So, you know, that's become a part of my life. But I remember one really awkward situation <laughs> where I had literally um, just finished doing the radio show and I was by the Empire Bar and I was waiting for the lights there. And all of a sudden a stag party came oh across the road and there was yeah. about 15 guys and they were as pissed as chooks. You know, they were pretty hammered. Yeah. And they surrounded me and they were like, oh, it's Jason Hoyt, it's Jason Hoyt, Jace, Jace. And they literally surrounded me in a circle. And I was standing in the middle of this sort of circle and they were all shouting, say something funny, Jace, do something funny. And that was just a nightmare scenario, you know. It's like, oh, that sort of scenario is pretty uncomfortable. It happened with me with the ACC too. But, you know, generally speaking, people are, are pretty respectful in terms of... Um, you know, not not crossing the line. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think probably the New Zealand, um, the sort of New Zealand uh, personality, is mm. probably makes it a bit easier than Definitely. other places. We you know tend to be quite sort of stand standoffish. And I'm not anything. that huge. I mean, I'm a I'm a C grade celebrity. Well, it's fu- it's funny what you just said because my just uncanny the line that you said that they said to you is my one 
very vivid memory of when I was doing breakfast radio for a period as a woman who said exactly that. Oh, you're um, da, 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 from the radio. Mm. We're sitting, I actually remember it was in the middle of Cuba Mall in Wellington. Mm. Can you say something funny? And it's sort of like... You can't, there is no... I'm just going to turn the tap on and yeah, be yeah, really yeah, amusing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, where's Jonathan now before, when we leave Sugar, Sugar and Spice alone? Is he, what's he doing? No, Jonathan's doing great. He's, yeah. um, he's, of course, did what we did in The Shadows, and that was a huge success. And, you know, he does a lot of acting work. So, you know, he's still doing his thing um, and, and doing a bit of comedy. He did a lot of work um, after Sugar and Spice, of course, with Jackie Van Beek. Yep. Um, which was, you know, really successful, and you know, he's just like everyone else, you know, getting by, doing the, doing what he needs to do, I guess. Um, I noticed. I mean, you've like I say, I I I, I wasn't exaggerating when I sort of said your list of um, performance credits is really, you know, it's really not only large but really broad mm. um, for New Zealand across a lot of stuff. Uh, I was out of New Zealand, kind of. I get what would you call it the the what do you call two thousand to two thousand and ten the the naughty. Oh, personally, the lost years. <laughs> Why is that? No, no. Um, oh, gonna, okay, we go with that, and I'll ask you what I was going to ask you. Um, yeah, I mean, it was actually through the stand-up comedy. I mean, because interestingly enough, I don't consider myself a comedian. Yeah, I consider myself an actor, and actually, um, after I did the play and I started getting into comedy, uh, a guy called Alan Bro. I don't know if you remember Alan. I know Bro, that name. Yeah, um, who was a Big influence early on for us. Um, you know, he said to me, have you got an agent? And I was like, an agent? No, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, have you got an acting agent? And I said, no, I, I haven't. So I ended up getting Karen Kay, who's uh, an agent here in Auckland, uh, as my as my agent. And my sort of acting career started from there. I started doing auditions and started getting quite a bit of work. And, you know, um, you know and that's where the voice work came from as well. Um, so I sort of managed... As an actor, to you know, I've got four daughters and I had a house and and stuff. Um, what sort know, of age range are they now? Oh, they're sort of um, twenty-one, twenty-two, down to ten. Right. Yeah. And my two eldest have just graduated from university and doing very well for themselves. Yeah. Uh, God knows how that happened. Um, but anyway, you know, <laughs> well, it was, it was a tenuous. It was a really tenuous existence because, yeah. as an actor, you know, you don't. There's no security there. No. Um, and when you've got a mortgage to pay and you've got kids to look after, it was a very sort of stressful time in many respects. And that's why voice work was so important to me, because if, if I was predominantly just focusing on the acting front, I'd never have survived. Yeah. Um, but having the acting plus the voice work plus the comedy, I managed to sort of cobble together a kind of a minimal existence. Yeah, and I think, I think um, what often some do is... Um, you. you because it's that weird balance of like art and creativity and commerce. Yeah. I think some people end up being too precious to their detriment. Like you've yeah. got to take, you know, you've got to take gigs where you can get them. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it sounds and, like Karen's a very good um, uh, uh, agent, by yeah, the way. Well, she was great. And, and particularly when you start <laughs> yeah. off, you yeah. know, I mean, um, because people don't know who you are. Yeah. And the only way that people know who you are is when they start seeing you doing things. Yeah. And then you start getting into a situation where, people are specifically asking you to audition. Yeah. And and if, you, if you're going relatively well, you ultimately get into a situation where people aren't even asking you to audition. They're just asking you to do the part, which yeah. is the ultimate. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So um, you're on, you're on the radar. As you're on the, and you've got to be on yeah. the radar to work. And, and, you know, I was at that stage where I'd, I'd do anything basically like most people, like most actors to survive. But as I say, it's, it's a tenuous existence because you never know. And, and I, you know, I think in many respects, actors and performers in general are inherently insecure. Well, it's, as you sort of said, it's a, it's a life of insecurity. I don't mean in, in, in the mental health sense yeah. or the mental sense, but yeah, it's an insecure gig. Unless, I mean, what's a secure gig in, in New Zealand? Um, I guess a, 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 a radio show to an extent or yep. Shortland Street? Yeah, would be sure. it would be a gig. You yeah. did that for a while, didn't you? Yeah. Were you I, were you, a, were you a, 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 excuse my my knowledge of Shortland Street in the last fifteen twenty oh, I, years? I have but no were knowledge you, of Shortland Street. Either, you, so but were you, were you a sort of a key character for a while? Yeah, or a walk I, on. Or? I actually have the dubious honour of killing three of the main characters on Shortland Street. So you were cast as a villain, a I, heel, I'm, a heel. I was always the villain, and yeah. and um, I think one I was a drug addict, yeah. and I attacked one of the main characters with an axe. Yeah. The other. 
the other two times I was on, I was a pharmaceutical rep and I blew up someone and killed someone in the bush and the other one. So it was, you know, it was... Did you ever, did any of those characters ever um, uh, smoke a cigarette on screen? No. I noticed there was a period on Shortland Street where if you were in any way, um, you know, mentally unstable or crazy or a All villain, right, you'd a smoke a cigarette? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't recall. <laughs> don't worry I would have that. loved to have um, been able to smoke on, on air. That would have been great, actually, because Shorten Street's quite a stressful. It's a real machine. Yeah, you know talk about I mean? that process. Like you, you, because it's, it's edited live, right? Yeah. It's five shows a week, obviously. Um, well, it's the most... Are they all filmed on w- one day or are they filmed daily? How does... I mean, that's actually Basically, quite an interesting I question, think, I think. For, I think for, they, for, they get 31 minutes of... Um, what would you call it, broadcasting time each day. And to put that in context... Wouldn't it be under 30 with the ads and stuff? Oh, I know, but, you know, it, it is literally a machine. It's the, yeah, fast, yeah, yeah. it's the fastest turnover show in the Southern Hemisphere. Yes. Wow, I didn't know and, that. Right. And, and to put it in context, say you're doing something like Outrageous Fortune or something like that, yeah. you're looking to get probably four to five minutes a day. Right. So... Shortland Street's getting 30 minutes a day. That's crazy. So, so basically what I learned on Shortland Street is that as, as long as you get your lines out, then they'll take it. You know, there's no sort of, hmm, how did you feel about that? Well, you, and, you know, there's no kind of, it's like, right, moving on, let's go. You, you've just forgiven why sometimes some of the performances are a little bit corny. It's like, well, we've, that's got to right. fucking, we've got to get this. I, I realized yeah. early on, actually, that the only way I was going to get another take was to deliberately stuff it up. So if I was to, so, yeah, so seriously, really <laughs> so if, if I'm in the middle of a scene, right? Yeah. Seriously, I was in the middle of a scene. Yeah. And I was going, oh, this is shit. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing what I want to do. Yeah. I deliberately stuff it up so that they'd have to do it again. Because I did a couple of scenes early on with Shorten Street, and they were terrible. And I was like, oh, my God, that was just appalling. Yeah. And they'd be like, that's great, moving on. And I was like, what do you mean moving on? That was terrible. Yeah. But because it's such fast turnaround they don't have the luxury of actually being able to do that. So basically, if you get your lines out, then it's let's, let's move on. But I can also see how that would be ve- a very good experience for very your much. craft in general. That teaches you a lot of things very it's a quickly. It's great training ground yeah. um, for actors. It really is. And, and also for directors. And, you know, a lot of directors go through yeah. short and street and learn the business. Yeah. And, and as an actor, you learn the business. You know, you literally, there's four cameras that are all sort of automated, I suppose you'd say. Um, and oh, so that they're is, not even operated. They're not even operated by people. So oh, right. you've got these four cameras oh, wow. that operate. Yeah. And, the, and the crazy thing is they operate and they go strictly off the lines. So there's no fudging the lines on Shorten Street. If you get your line wrong, the whole sort of thing goes and blows up. You know, hang on, hang on, hang on. They had the technology to make the cameras know what this. There must be a human controlling them. Well, there must be. There must be something controlling it. Obviously, but you know, the cameras do move off the lines. So if you get your lines wrong, then the cameras go into a state of computery confusion. Really? Yeah. I don't know how that works. But it's crazy. But I mean. It is. Shorten Street is a great training ground for actors. It's intimidating when you get in there because, yeah. you know, if you start losing your lines, which is every actor's nightmare, I was never really in that situation. But if you start losing your lines, you can get into a panic. Yeah. And, and there's no place for panic in Shorten yeah. Street. You've got to get it out. You've got to do the job. And yeah. You've got to move on because yeah. it's heavily time restrained. So. so I wonder if some people just like... Oh. <laughs> And I'm sure never there's come been meltdowns. Back. Yeah. I'm sure and the other thing meltdowns. with that is, I won't dwell on this too long, but I was thinking with your clever um, scam to get a retake, there must be a, a level of tolerance from the production end where if Joe actor does that X amount of times, it's like, we can't, your character's getting hit by a bus or something. Because yeah. you can't have someone holding up. No, yeah. no. I mean, if you're continually doing that, if you're continually making mistakes, then they would, you know, definitely look at, you know, moving you on or giving you less lines, I imagine, further down the track, particularly if you're a long... Uh, sort of, you know, there for a few months as a character. But, you know, I'd only do that every now and then if I was particularly appalled by my yeah. performance. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh, 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 sorry about that. And Let's lastly on that, you know, I've seen infomercials for the for things like the Mega Memory 
um, kit, and mm. um, you know that I've seen. I'm sure that's incredible. When I was seven, I saw someone who could recite 52 cards after they were thrown on the ground. Yep. How? Did, what's your What's your system for learning for learning lines Re- of dialogue very just, quickly? Literally just repetition. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the so but leading up, you, you you're in the bathroom. You you you're, yeah, you're making well, a sandwich. You, I, I specifically tend to sit down with them and and, and learn them. And yeah. I was really lucky in that I was always kind of lines just stuck with me. I, and that's yeah. just the way it was. Actually, as I've got older, it's got worse and worse. You know, I have yeah. to work a little bit harder. <laughs> um, but he, he, one of the keys, actually, too, is to is to say your lines out loud, because you know you learn your lines in your head and in, in sort of an interior monologue. And often, when you when it comes to an audition or when it comes to when you're filming, when you say them out loud, they kind of surprise you, and they kind of have a different texture I guess in a weird way so I like to walk around saying my lines you know out loud because that's how I'm going to have to do it on the day so you might as well do it as you're going to do it on the day otherwise you can be even little things like that can really throw you yeah but you know it's weird because I remember when I was doing stand-up comedy and you know you'd have jokes in your head and you'd be standing at the lights you know um, saying these lines and uh, talking to yourself and people would think you're insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember Brendan Lovegrove Love talking about standing at the lights, talking about stabbing a kid, you know, and then he'd look around and people would be going, yeah. oh, what's, what the hell's going on? I remember when the Bluetooth headsets hit and I'd go, why is that sort of quite sort of together looking gentleman mm. um, raving to himself? But before that, so I was going to ask, um, when I look, as again, when I looked at your, I guess your, 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 your um, written show reel, your, your CV, your, um, list of, of productions. Um, one that seemed to be mentioned a lot was Seven Periods with Mr. Gornsby, and that was that period that, as I say, I was I was out of New Zealand. So yeah. forgive me, I have no idea. I've not seen it. Yeah. But um, it seemed to be a sitcom in a time when New Zealand didn't produce a lot of sitcoms. Was it was it, yeah. it was a sitcom? Or yeah. I don't know what you'd call it, it, it but yeah. Well, it was a comedy series, yeah. and and um, written by uh, Dave Armstrong, written by quite a Wellington mafia, yeah. uh, and, and performed by sort of Gadsby and yeah, Tom Scott yeah. and um, Danny Mulheron. Who yeah. Danny Mulheron was also the director of it. Yeah, and it was based on a character that Danny, I think, did on stage called Mister Gormsby, who was basically this old school English teacher. Yeah. Um, who was very old school and very un-PC about everything that he did. And they decided to make a series about it. And, and Gormsby um, actually, and you were, it, yeah. it, did pretty, it did pretty well in New Zealand, but it was absolutely massive in Australia. Really? Uh, it was huge in Australia. Australians just loved it. And it was one of those great shows because as an actor, I loved it because it went a little bit too far. But you were just for context of everyone out there. You were the creepy guidance counselor. I, I was the uh, yeah. I was Steve, the guidance counselor, yeah. and um, we, and, we had and, a, my guidance counselor at Wellington. I was called Steve, and I had a and I had a tremendous um, ponytail as well. Oh my god! Because um, Dave worked at Wellington High, and we had a guidance counselor called Steve, and oh, it was around the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he and Steve, the guidance counselor, was literally the most loathsome creature you will ever meet in your life and he was so much fun to play because you know he was he was despicable in the truest sense of the word but you can't have stuff like you know the immediate thing i think of unfortunately is sort of like you know coming on to the students and stuff like that it wasn't no you can't really do that on tv no yeah, it, yeah. W- it was all about being a counselor and it was all under the guise of caring for the kids when the reality was he didn't give he a didn't shit care, right okay he didn't yeah, give yeah, a shit yeah, yeah, yeah. um and all he was really interested in was shagging all the other teachers okay um but you know he had the ponamu and he had the ponytail he had the look of a counselor but the reality was he he was just a heinous human being. Was he quite sort of, you know, soft-spoken? Oh, absolutely. It was like, you know, um, please, please, <laughs> please take... I, I remember there was one scene uh, with Hepper, <laughs> who was the main student, yeah. and he was always in trouble. And um, there's this great scene where I'm talking to Hepper, yeah, and I say to him, you know, look, tell me about what's going on for you. And, you know, and it was that kind of vibe. And then a very attractive female teacher knocks on the door and she comes in and goes oh i'm so sorry i didn't mean to disturb you and i immediately say oh no no it's not important uh i just completely dissing ho hipper and putting him there because it's attractive yeah, female yeah. and that was the sort of character he Priorities, was you know what yeah. i mean um but you, that was a lot of fun and do, you, do you think that i mean coming back to you talking about you you you're growing up like um 
not so much the 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 um the guidance counselor and, and that particular character but um did you have a sort of quite a few old school tropes in that era of um of going to boarding school was it you know was it an enjoyable time or was oh, it I sort loved of a it. bit of a okay so I you, loved it so there weren't sort of um bad teachers in the oh yes of course of, of course, course there were yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Did, was there a religion around it yeah or? it was it was yeah. an Anglican school yeah. um, and we used to have to go to church like you know four or five times a week so I'm just old enough that I remember the end of um, uh, court punishment so it would have been a bit of cane as well oh, for good measure I got yeah. caned I think was it sixty two times. Um, while I was at school, and honestly, I think I worked out 59 times that I was caned. Of the 62 times I was caned, were, were for talking when I wasn't supposed to be talking. So you, I mean, and the irony is now that's how I make my living. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's so, the so, so, so I mean, you're, you know, you've come up in the area of that era. Like, what do you, what do you? I mean, it's a little bit of a deep question, but what do you think of it now? Is it, is it like uh, punishment as due, or is it child abuse? Well, you know, in once again, um, hindsight, I suppose. It's kind of a weird thing. It is. Uh, you know, a grown man beating beating someone with a stick. Yeah. Bend over. Yeah. Smack you on the ass. And some of these guys were brutal. Like you'd have blood welts on your ass. Yeah. You know, blood yeah. welts. Yeah. And, and I look back Caning and I go... serious business. And the fact that I got caned 62 times, yeah. 59 of which I was for when I was talking when I wasn't supposed to be talking, kind of tells you maybe this isn't working. <laughs> yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Oh, hang yeah. on. We've caned Jason 60 times for talking. Maybe we need to try something a bit different here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, I think there's better ways of, of dealing with kids that are, you know, having issues. Because so you've, you know, you've got kids up to early 20s now. Um, does school, you reckon schooling looks a lot different from what you've observed about what they've come through? Because as I say, I'm, I'm sort of on the, I'm, I'm, capital, uh, capital punishment. Corporal punishment, would, I reckon, finished when I was about standard four, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah, eight, mid, eight, mid-80s. No, it was yeah. right through yeah, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. career. Um, yeah, school looks a bit different oh, now. school's very confusing for me. I, I mean, I get, I get their <laughs> okay. reports, and you know, and I go, NCAA, I, just yeah, don't, I like, didn't even yeah. know what this means. Seriously, I look at their reports and I go, well, what is this? They need night school for parents to yeah. learn how to do NCAA. <laughs> did you did you pass or did yeah, you not pass? Yeah. I don't know. I can't. What is this? Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I guess I'm a bit old school in that respect, and that you know things like maths and English, and just teach kids the basics. I yeah. think I think we're afraid of with kids telling them that they haven't passed. But you yeah. know what I mean. Um, but I think failure can be as um, as informative as, as right. absolutely it yeah. can. You know, and so. We don't need to be so afraid, and it gives kids something to you know work for. And now it's achieved, achieved with merit, achieved yeah. with excellence. Yeah. Did not achieve, or you know, and it's just yeah. like, oh, well, you should see now they come because I've fallen into the teaching racket late, later in 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 in, uh, in life, and um, it's weird because we still operate kind of at uni on that um, what they call the Cambridge system, which is yeah. what we came up in. Mm. But then you've got students who've come through the NCEA system. Yeah. So the two worlds kind of smash together like atoms when it happens. And I didn't know about all of this at first when I mm. came back in. I, I had no background in education, you know, didn't mm. train to be a teacher and so on. And, and um, it took me a while to suss out, oh, well, this is why these guys struggle with um, not only kind of writing the essays we expect, but um, even understanding the, the A, B, C, D System we have. I've had to explain why things add up to a hundred. Yeah. What's that worth? You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what I, I suppose I'm trying to say is yeah. that. And, and it's a hoary old cliche, but it's like we need to get back to the basics a little bit. Kids need to learn certain things as a sort of foundation for their education. I think it's becoming a little bit too sort of esoteric. Yeah, you know. Well, you, what's, and, it, what's and, it worth if you go? Sorry to cut you off. What's it worth if you go out into the world and everyone's got? A degree, but no one got D's. It's like to make mm. the A's, B's, and C's worth something. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it, you actually need, you need the D's. someone to have D's, E's, yeah. and F's. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's a weird thing. Yeah. It is a weird thing. Um, so you and Lee, you and Mr. Hart, it yep. seems you've done a lot of stuff together. And yeah, we um, have. You know, uh, I think I see this exact same question a couple of times throughout. But how did that come about? P- peas, well, peas in a pod. I don't. I've... I, I did a fellow thespian or just a radio? Well, no, Lee's, radio he's or? a performer, but he's yeah. more of a... Because, of course, he makes all of his own stuff, um, yeah. and he's kind of a pioneer in that sense. But yeah. I, I, I ended up doing some skit for him once, and I can't even recall what that was, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, he uh, ended up being part of Moon TV and Speedo Cops and all that sort of stuff. And 
and, and, and it kind of went from there. Um, so it would be fair to say he was sort of a, uh, an early adopter of the kind of technology DIY thing that's come about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he made his own shows. He'd, he'd made a few series of Moon before I'd even met him, I think. Um, and so he was very much of that school of, of, you know, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Um, and, and so you did a you did a um, a skit for him, and yeah, he from obviously there. thought I was genius, <laughs> and went, "I've got to get this guy back on." Yeah. But yeah, no, we did lots of stuff together, and 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 we have you know done a lot over the years. Um, yeah. So, so that answers another question I sort of had in the back of my mind, in that I was looking at a lot of the not indie, but the more sort of like how would a network, you know, what what would how would a network um, even embrace that in its sort of idea stage? But it's sounding like he's coming to them with, you know, already produced at least pilots or whatever of these, mm. you know, from the fishing show or whatever. So is that how it works? He's, well, he's we're talking, kind of, we're not talking big budgets, I think, initially. But, no. Um, well, I mean, Lee's always had a maxim, and I think it's a really good one, to under-promise and over-deliver. Hey, that's quite a good uh, mantra. Yeah, so... You know, and and he's very much of the do-it-yourself kind of school. And you know, you I look at big productions sometimes, and I and I see a lot of waste. Yeah. You know, and I go, you don't need all that stuff. You don't need all the stuff to actually make something. And particularly with technology, the way it is, and cameras, the way they are nowadays. Lee was just one of those guys that went, you know, I'm going to make it myself. He's got another guy, Brent, uh, who does all his camera work, um, Spillane, and he's he's brilliant at it. And he does all the audio and the camera work, and he'll have two cameramen. But it's very, it's very basic, but it's all you need to make something. You know what I mean? And um, and you know, of course, editing. He's got his own editing facility. So yeah, he just put it all together, had a bit of success with that, and and he reached a point where with TVNZ and TV3, where basically they said, do what you want, right? And we'll put it on that's for you. Sort of what I was, yeah. That's, that's sort of confirmed what I was asking. Yeah, yeah it's like you know. You well, the proof's in the pudding. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, he's got a huge following as well. So, you know, he was just one of those guys that loved making TV um, and just got it done. And and that's really the key for him is getting it done. Because so, we talk a lot about these projects. We can have great ideas, you know. And I blah blah blah. And you know, I've always had these great ideas. But actually, the key is to actually get it done. There's a there's a lot of that in uh, in the creative world talking mm. about things and, projects yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you've done he's not involved in the cricket collective which we'll talk about in a bit oh he is he is yeah okay, he was so, yep. So, yep. okay so but um, together you've done the, there was the late night big breakfast is that still going online or no no, no? I think it, it just you can get it online yeah, yeah we did the late night big breakfast we did moon TV uh, we screaming just did reels screaming reels just recently yeah. Um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, You know, it's one of those weird things, like people ask me often, what have you been in? Yeah. And I go, well, I don't know, stuff. You know, I I don't, you know, actually, you know. And then they say, can you say something funny? Yeah, can you you be funny? And it's like, no, piss off. Um, (laughs) But it's like, I've always been one of those people that does the job and moves on, you know, and I don't, you know, it's only when I, you know, my agent will say, we're updating your CV in terms of your your, your performance credits and stuff. And I look back and I go, holy crap. Oh, you know well, what I mean? I've actually done a lot of stuff, well, but I really don't remember it. Well, well that's, that's good. Um, we, we'll go recent then. I, I like fishing. Um, yes. did, you, did you like fishing before you started this show? Actually, I love fishing. I, it's one of the moments I'm most relaxed in my yeah, life. Is, is I find it very uh, meditative. Hand on, hand on heart. Yeah. Um, not on Lee, but on my heart. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely love fishing. It's what was one of my passions, and the thing about Screaming Reels was it's the most sustainable fishing show that's ever ever been on air. What do you mean sustainable? Well, in six episodes, we never caught a fish. <laughs> you set so. me up. You set me up for that. That was a knock knock joke, man. Yeah. Um, so you know that was quite an achievement. Yeah. And um, uh, is that true? Yeah. Well, that must be shitty. That, that, that was, was that was the, shitty footage. That was the premise of the show. Was that. We did this high-octane fishing show, because it's a piss-taker fishing show. Okay, good. Um, and that we never catch a fish. Yeah. We have all these amazing techniques and all this stuff, but actually we never catch anything. Do you have any, like, fights to the death oh, yeah, and then nothing yeah. comes in? I've, yes, got, I've got to watch. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yes. Um, and was that online? Online? It was online and on, it was on telly for a, for yeah, it was a, for on, a minute, no, wasn't it? it was on um, Duke, I think. The Man, the man, the man Channel. Yes. 
Um, so yourself and and and, and Lee um, weren't necessarily from a broadcasting background, but no. I mean, sheesh, you've got a pretty prime time show on a on a station with a lot of history. Yeah, we do. And how's and that going? Well, I started doing the ACC. I was rung by Jeremy Wells. That's the, the uh, alternative commentary, commentary collective, collective, folks. Yes, um, and saying, you know, because he knew I was passionate about cricket. Yeah. I was actually quite a, a relatively high-level umpire for a while. I did premier cricket and stuff like that. And he knew, I knew Jeremy through Moon TV and stuff like that. And he said, yeah. would you be interested in doing an alternative commentary? Yeah. And I said, hell yes. I mean, that's like my dream. I'm a cricket nut. And I love the game and the yeah. idea of commentating. It's always been a passion and a dream of mine. Right. And so I said, bloody hell yes. Yeah. And so we did this alternative commentary to One Day Internationals, and it just went gangbusters, you know, and it just, the audience was huge. And, and the concept behind it basically was to have an alternative commentary, but something a little bit different from your standard, bog-standard comedy. And it, and it went great guns. Because I, I was going to say that, like... Um I've heard some alternative commentary that was really funny. Like, I think it actually started when I was first listening to it in Wellington on Radioactive, and it was, um, you know the story, it was um, uh, John Campbell and a friend of mine, Jim Scott, Sparky Plug and Friendly Brains, Mm -hmm. and um, there wasn't actually a lot of rugby knowledge. There was a lot Mm. of jokes about stiffies and small shorts Mm. and stuff, but I'm guessing, so you guys actually came with some some pretty solid cricket knowledge as well as silly Well, I mean, mean, Jeremy and I and another guy, Mike Lane, who was also one of the guys that started it, who's currently the head of Hodaki, um, they're all cricket nuts as well yeah. and then we had Matt Heath uh, Lee Baker who is a cricket nut as well yeah. uh, and of course Lee Hart who really knows bugger all about cricket well, you, need um, one, you need one of those you need one of those yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so we did have a background in cricket but the whole idea of it was to make it funny and enjoyable and and you know to create something that was a little bit outside the box that people might enjoy it was more entertainment yeah. Than than commentary, but but the great thing about cricket is we had the ball by ball commentary, so it was legitimate. Yeah. In that sense, and um, you know, and I remember just putting on the mic, you know, the earphones for the first time with the microphone, the first time we started doing it, and I just felt like I'd come home. Oh man! I just went, oh my god, this is my dream to commentate cricket. You know, and, and, and it started. But wait, so you didn't mind that it wasn't straight up and down commentary? No. It probably suited no, I mean, yeah, To, yeah, a, to yeah. a degree, the ball by ball is straight up and down. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we did that relatively seriously. Yeah. It was the sort of comments in between that, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. The, that yeah. where the humour was. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I just fell in love with it, you know. And, and I remember coming to the end of the first season and I went up to Mike Lane, who worked in radio at the time. And, of course, Jeremy Wells did. Yeah. He was already on Radio Hodeki, as was Matt Heath. And I said to Mike, I want to work in radio, man. I want to do radio. And he yeah. went, okay. And he said, we'll get together with Lee. So Lee and I got together and we did a, I can't even remember now, like an hour-long show or a two-hour-long show on a Saturday for Radio Hodaki. I think you, you did a couple hours in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. And that sort of went. Traditional kind of sports show territory from Radio yeah, Live was, and so on. Sport bourgeois or something, I think it was called. Yeah. It might have even been about sport, but it wasn't really about sport. And we did that and kind of were feeling our way through the processes. We'd never done radio before. Yeah. And then then we sort of graduated to doing an hour show every night um, after Mikey Havoc. Yeah. And he would do from three to six and we'd do from six to seven. Yeah. And then, um, and that went pretty well. And then we ended up taking over from Mikey Havoc and doing the drive show on, on Radio Hodecky, which yeah. we've been doing for about three years. So in all, about five years we've been doing radio. Enjoying it? Yeah, it's tough, man. Why is it tough? Radio, radio it's, it's I mean, tough I, because I, I know radio quite well from yeah. a performative point of view. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly if, if your show's ostensibly meant to be comedy. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, I don't know, 22 voice breaks a day. Yeah. And, and, you, and it becomes a job because you're doing it every day. Well, well I'd suggest it is yeah, well, a job. Well, it is a job, you know, and they're, pay, <laughs> you know, they're paying us good money yeah. to do it. Yeah, but yeah. it's, but it's, it, it is tiring, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's hard to... You know, I'll be honest with you. There's times when you're sitting there in the studio and you're just going, "Jesus, I've just got nothing." 
you when know what I, I mean? When I, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to talk about anymore. When I did, I mean, speaking of Mikey, I don't sort of like uh, be defamatory, but it's something you, you know everyone knows about. So I did, I did breakfast years ago in, in Wellington um, on Active, which is kind of Wellington's B. Um, then I just sort of went away for a while and I came back and I was sort of a band aid um, on, on, on Mikey's show in, in that um, when he was on B the last time around. Mm. Um, he never could make it for his 6 a.m. Um, breakfast start. So I, well, I interestingly, he couldn't make it for his 3 p.m. start right. on Radio Hodecky either. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the elephant in the room. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so I certainly know about mornings going up and, um, and, and you just go, I've got, I've got nothing today. Whether it's like, you know, the ebbs and flows of being a human, sometimes you're just flat. Other times, it, yeah, it's, it's production oh, stuff. Look, and I, I get it, man. It's, yeah, uh, you it, know. it's like, it, you know, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah. we're human beings. Yeah, and some days you just don't feel funny. No, and some days, some days you walk in there and you just go, oh, I just, oh, I don't know, I don't I know s- what I want to talk. But so, strangely enough, sometimes those can be the best shows. And and Lee and I are very freeform. We don't do a crap load of preparation. We've ve- literally ten seconds before we go on air. A lot of the time, I have no idea what we're about. Oh to wow! Say. So you don't? That was going. I was going to ask that. You don't have a little production nope. meeting for half an hour before nope. or after. Never. That's very efficient use of your time. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's kind of what's made our show kind of special in its own way. What, what's, um, the, what are they, what's the what's the what's the, the, the flash? Uh, is it a reverence? What do they call that? Yeah, it's a reverend, I suppose. They're bullshitting. And, yeah, it's it's just talking shit, man. Yeah. As guys do, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and um, you know, often we'll have a very vague idea um, of what we're about to talk about, and that kind of gives it a certain edge. But you know, it, it's it's one of those things. It's like. You know, you have days where you're really, really struggling to come up with stuff, and other days where it just flows and it's over and a jiffy. You know what I mean? It's, it's interesting you say that some of those really struggle-heavy ones that end up being your best shows. Mm. It's sort of funny how the universe does that. Um, is it just? It's just the two of you. This, this isn't there three of you on here? Yeah. Well, there's another guy, uh, Lobo de Noche. Uh, yeah. There's a guy, Matty Ward, who yeah. we call the Night Wolf. He does the night show. The Night Wolf. Um, and then we had another guy before him called James, who yeah. was our producer, because neither Lee and I can do the panel. Yeah. <laughs> it would be an absolute disaster if we ever tried to do it. And so Matty does the panel, but he's also the producer of the show, and he's just sort of you know he just chips in. And, and says stuff when he wants to because he does the night show as well. He's your panel guy. He's, he's our panel guy, but he's up, also, yeah. you know, he's a big part of Bouja now. Yeah, so yeah. We, we sort of include him in a lot of our stuff. But yeah, you know, it's it, it's one of those things. I, I love it, but at the same time, there's days where I hate it. Yeah. You know? But at least it's it's um, 3 or 4 p.m., not um, 5 or 6 a.m. Yeah, I look true. At, you know, I look at those, um, you know, speaking of prep, um, something like those morning TV people where that's the life of a baker, which I've always, you know, I'm mm. just not a get up, getting up at 2 or 3 a.m. to do a job. Yeah. And then I couldn't understand how someone like, like someone like Duncan Garner must just have, just have work in his DNA, how at one point he was doing that brekkie show and getting up at that time mm. and then doing drive on Radio Live. Like I'd be hospitalized about yeah. week three. Well, I think, you know, Jesse yeah. Mulligan, you know, yeah. does, does drive yeah, it's on amazing, the right? national program and also, you know, the, yeah, I think some people just just love to work. Yeah, I, and I guess if you get in that loop and, you know, yeah. drink lots of water and... Yeah, you look know. after yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't get it. steamed every night. Um, <laughs> you'll yeah. be fine. It'll be fine. Um, but who's doing that these days anyway? Mm. Um, what else? Uh, you, 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 you've been casting a lot. Um, if this is too sort of general, a wishy a washy a question. Um, but what's the secret to that, man? What's the secret to sort of being asked back and asked back and asked back? Um, I really don't know. Uh, I think that despite everything and, and, you know, public perception, I suppose, um, I'm, I'm actually pride myself on being pretty professional about what I do. Yeah. And, you know, I take it pretty seriously, but. I don't, you know, when I'm on set, I'm there to do a job. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when you're on set, you're required to know your lines. Yeah. You know, you're required to have made the effort and to have done the preparation for it. <coughs> turn and, up on time. <coughs> yeah, yeah, turn up on time, all of that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, I, I enjoy acting and I, and I think I've always been pretty professional about the way I've gone about it, but at the same time, I'm not precious about the art form. Yeah, you know, I'm not. 
oh, God, I'm an actor, just leave me be while I get into character, please, sort of thing. I'm not one of those actors. You know, I I, I get on and I do my job and then I get off again, you know. And, and, you know, as I was saying earlier, I, I I don't think about too much what I've just done I tend to do the job and then move on to the next job you know what I mean I don't you know I'm not a big watcher of my own work I'm not a big promoter of my own work I'm not sort of interested in that aspect of it I'm just interested in in doing the job well and then going on to the next project you know did you enjoy doing barefoot bandits yeah I, I, I it's a bit of a common bucket list thing to want to be a cartoon character, who were you? Oh, I had those geez, guys I in. I, even, I had those guys in. I, I can't I, even remember. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just when you said I don't look back on my work, I'll put mm. you on the spot. But I, I just say I had those guys in. It was one of the, one of the few guests that have approached me. These muck putty guys, mm. and I just thought, wow, what a what a bunch of talent. Plus, I sort of admired the. I don't know if you know a lot of their story, but they were kind of like, you know, they're around my age, and I think mm. mid late nineties when they. When they they were like, we're going to be animators. This is going to work. Yeah, you know, and it's taken. Well, them- it's interesting you say that because yeah. I did a voice for them not long ago. Yeah, and they've got this huge operation now. Yeah, good um, on them. I mean, I went there and it was a small office, and I did some characters for them, and it was great. And you come it. back, it's like Disney. And I, seriously, it's like coming to Disney, like, and there was this massive warehouse <laughs> yeah, with yeah. all these people yeah. sitting at desks and yeah. people skateboarding around. I was yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so they've obviously done hundred really well. Korean people animating stills. You yeah. Know, like. um, I've done a lot of um, animated sort of character work, yeah. and I, I enjoy it. You know, um, must have been cool when your kids were younger, like uh, you know, yeah. hearing dad. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, my kids are just you know. My career is met with a sort of cacophony of indifference from my girls. You Better know. than, like, embarrassment. Oh, yeah. dad! Oh, there's that as well. But they, <laughs> they, they couldn't give a shit, to be so honest. So none of them have followed the sort of show business no, media? No. Uh, my eldest daughter, Jess, she's got a marine biology degree. Oh, wow. Um, and that, that's one of those occupations that lots of eight-year-olds say they want to be, but yeah, not many yeah, people yeah. follow well, through. And well, I want to be a marine biologist. Yeah, she's doing great. My yeah. other daughter, Scarlett, she's a, a mental health nurse. Wow. Well, yep. Got her nursing degree. Yep. And my daughter, Millie, who's just left school, she's probably, she, she might end up, she's very, very funny. Yeah. And she plays the guitar, but she works in a cafe. And, and um, at this stage, shows Sounds like no, she, might she, go- might, she might be she going might. down the... Yeah, she yeah. does a lot of her own artwork yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, so, you yeah. know, that's that's in her genes. And, yeah. and my youngest is only 10, so who knows? Yeah. And she hates being on stage. She had to do a speech to that school and she was just beside herself. She was like, oh, God, I do this. I hate it. <laughs> um, so, you know, but that's great. So which, which, which side's responsible for the for the strong line of, of woman in the in the DNA? Are, I don't know. Are you actually, the only boy I, in a family of like yeah, well, I've females? Got, I've literally got four daughters, and my yeah. wife. Um, I think her side of the family, her sister had um, three daughters. So sounding like so that I side. think it's their side of it. So you don't have a bunch of sisters? I oh, actually I do. I was adopted, oh. and I've, I've subsequently found my birth mother, um, yeah. and I have two sisters. How was that? Was that? How was that? Was that process? Did you think about that a lot, or did you just sort of like? Did you have to do it at um, a certain age, or not really? Um, I, I suppose I did unconsciously, but had a good upbringing with the adoptive parents. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and so, I went to boarding, so nothing, yeah. boarding school from the yeah. age of eight to when I was eighteen. Yeah. So, you know, uh, no, it wasn't something I really thought about. And and when it happened, it was it was pretty awesome, and, and it was nice to meet my birth mother. And but you started the process at some point. Yeah, I think I must have. Like later then, in life, or but I, later in life, yeah. um, and then I found out that she'd been looking for me as well. Oh, that's so nice. It was kind of, um, you know, children's and young persons. I think it was called then. Said, "Oh, look, your mother's got in contact. Would you like to meet her?" And I said, yeah. "Hell yeah!" And she lives in Australia, so I rang her in Australia, and that was a pretty, that was. Pretty emotional, kind pretty, of cool. pretty, pretty trippy, wife, as they say. Well, yeah, did you, you know, you know even, on, even on the phone call, did you go, oh, okay, there's some weird similarities here that is just obviously uh, well, genetics was, and DNA? And, I was terrified, actually, and yeah. I remember picking up the phone um, to ring her, and, you know, I'd obviously never spoken to her. I didn't know much about her, and... I remember my wife was just beside herself. She was literally on the couch covering herself oh with a duvet going, I can't handle this! Why, 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 why? why, 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 why? Oh, because why? it was just so... Just so full on. So full on, you know. Yeah. And and, and I, I rang up and this voice answered. And I don't know that she... Because she'd written me a letter saying, you can call me if you want, but I preferred if you wrote me a letter first. Mm. But she left her... Uh, you know her number there and I went I'm bugger it I'm just going to call her yeah 
And That's right. You're either like all in or... Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so and so I called her and I remember saying, oh, hi, I'm, is Linda there? And she went... And I could... There was this pause uh-huh. and she went speaking and I said, oh, this is um, Jason speaking. And then she just broke down because she must have known that, you know, that... Well, oh, she boy. knew who I was, and she got very emotional. Oh boy, yeah, yeah, she just got really emotional, and and so did I actually. I was going to say, are you a, are you a crier, or are you someone who sort of yeah. holds it in? And yeah, I I I would say I'm quite an emotional uh, person. I but I but I like most guys, I suppose, create a facade that I'm. You know, I'm not but someone, emotional. Someone, I cry someone in that shit. exchange you just described yeah, had, yeah. had to hold it down for the yeah, benefit yeah. of it going anywhere. Um, but, you know, I, I cry at weird shit. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I can cry yeah. at weird shit and, yeah, and yeah. deeply disturbing emotional stuff I'm kind of indifferent yeah. to. You know, it's it's weird. I don't know why that is. Yeah. But, you know, so I spoke to her and that was, you know, that was pretty emotional, as you can imagine, and found out I had two sisters. And yeah. um, See, there you go. More, I told you, more, more, more girls. Yeah, more girls, yeah. yeah. And, and I eventually met her about... A couple of months later, I think she flew over. Still in contact? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. She's been having some health difficulties, which has been difficult, but no. In fact, my my um, sister's coming over in one week's time. Wow. Yeah, so Spent a bit of time with her before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we were over to Sydney this year, actually, and hung out with them for a while, so that was good. And the other question in this, you know, you talk to people about adoption and so on, and if it's a, if it's a question that you don't want to answer, that's fine, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like, um, you know, what what was the reasoning? She was young? She was really young, family, whisked off somewhere? I think it was very much that she was of her age and generation where, yep, that's right. you know, she found herself pregnant. She was, I think, only 16. Yep. Um, and, and basically back then it was like, that's not acceptable. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you need to adopt your son out, and, um, and sometimes weirdly for the sake of the sort of mana of the family or yeah, honor yeah, of the yeah. family. You know, you well, know? often you know they'd send mums up to the farm up north or something like that. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it weirdly, um, it turns out I was born in a place, uh, place called Bethany Clinic. Yeah. And at the time that I found, which is in Grey Lynn, at the time I found that out. I was literally living about fifty meters from it. That used to be a orphanage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is so that on like, Richmond Road, the big old? Uh, it's oh, I can't remember anyway, the name. It's right, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's in Graylam. So, and you so were, that was bizarre. It's like my God, I was born in that place. Oh, you just didn't, there. You didn't even know. No, I didn't know. So I it didn't, didn't say on your on your thingo where you were where no. you were born. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, oh, so, I might have done, but I yeah. So what's weird. what's a what's a day look like? Um, now, aside from the show, like what projects are on at the moment? You don't strike me as someone who'd just be doing one, one oh, thing. Oh, look, yeah, um, you know, Lee and I often have to go away and, and um, you know, with the radio, we go down to Christchurch or the university or whatever or, you know, broadcasting school. We're, we're kind of busy a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, coming into the end of the year, I think we're thinking of doing another late night big breakfast. Nice. Um, and you know, we've got the cricket coming up and and we've got the radio, um, happening. So there's definitely a lot going on. What I try to do most of the time is just, you know, chill out a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's quite nice when you're in the afternoon, you know, you're doing the afternoon show, you get to have the mornings to yourself. And I, I go to the gym a lot now and, and, um, Um, you know, try and look after myself. Look, Three to seven or four to seven? It's three to seven, isn't it? Four to seven. Four to seven. Yeah. What an ideal time of the day mm. to do your main piece of income yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. You've got... You do it. You can do... Yes, I can do that in the evening. Yeah. Yes, I can do that in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think totally. It's, I think it's a great time. I think, as I say, I think I found... You know, I think bre- I think those breakfast slots are really quite... Oh, yeah, quite, quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a nice time of the day to be working. Um, I won't keep you too much longer. I want to come back to something because you mentioned cricket again and reminded me. Um, it's a funny old sport. Um, mm. What's what's the attraction to to the you know the slow the slow rhythm of of, of, of cricket? Well, I, I it's, guess it's no actually, MMA. That's actually it because <laughs> I kind of like the meditative quality of it. Yeah, you know, and there's something great about being on a park, you know, and, yeah. and there's all action for it. Five seconds and then it's calm and sedate. And yeah. Cricket and utter, it's a really weird thing to try and explain to people, yeah. but it's it's a passion. You know, Johnny Bruff, another guy, he's a, 
absolute cricket nut. Yeah. Um, but there's something great about the game, you know, and it, and it's a team sport, but it's also an individual sport. Yeah. And it, and it, and and the great thing about cricket too, there's a lot of chatter. Yeah. You know, but where? But in the team. The yeah, teams. yeah, in the in the team, you know, and 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 I like that aspect of it too. But you know, I I don't know. It was just it's just something that seems to gel with my kind of personality very nicely. Yeah, right. You know, the the sort of meditative quality of it and I guess the history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the chat when you're out in the field, you know, and that sort of stuff, it just, it all appeals. So you're an empire guy. Yeah, I'm an empire. Yeah, I guess I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, maybe the one day they'll start, I was listening to a podcast on um, sound design and sport and how it's changed that now they've sort of like, it's like art imitates life. Like apparently um, the video games tried to like, they looked at, you know, sports and made a more bombastic version of that sound wise. And then the sports went, oh, look at what. EA's doing with their, you know, mm. uh, American football sound. We'll do that. And they were talking about miking up players as maybe being the next step. So maybe one day we'll get to hear what the cricket... Well, they do that in 2020. They do that in 2020. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. mic up all the players. Oh, yeah, they do. And, they, you know, shit's the bloody... Shit, the umpire's got, got cameras on days. their heads. And, um, yeah, it's kind of... I don't like that aspect of it, actually. You know, you've literally yeah, got players... Give a man privacy. Well, know, imagine if Shane Warne... Imagine there. if Shane Warne was still on the... Oh, God, he'd never shut up. But, yeah. but the weird thing is... You know, you've got a guy coming into bowl and they're talking on the, you know, to a guy in the field, you know, and he's going, yeah, it's going well, you know, and it's just like part of cricket, part of the magic of cricket is the tranquility of it. And, and especially with 2020, I hate 2020. It's sort of high impact, you know, big drama sort of stuff. I like the five day test yeah. as opposed to the bash of 2020 well what you just described everything like someone said to me, said to me once you know, cricket's like a game of a nice slow game of chess to them um before you go <clears throat> um i went through uni doing theater and film with um jermaine and Tyker. yes and at the time sort of this nicely um sort of rounds up a number of things we've talked about at the time we wouldn't we were doing theater and film mm. wouldn't have even considered the idea of anyone ending up in in Hollywood and all the rest of it. You worked with them um, on what we do in the shadows. Yep. Um, do, do they just strike you as huge talents? Did you work closely oh, with them? Oh, or, look. You know? You know, when Johnny and I... I think Taika doing, was always going to be a star. I, yeah, Taika's one of those immensely gifted human beings. Yeah. And he's good looking too, the son of a bitch. His dad was the head of the Satan Slaves in Wellington. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hell, look, we know Taika and... and um, Jermaine really well because yeah. of course we did Sugar and Spice and oh, we used of course, to go down Humor Beasts and, and the, and right. the Humor Beasts yeah, right. which, was, which was those two Yeah, I, I wouldn't say but they were very much of our genre yeah they came a little bit after us a couple of years after us but we used to always go and see the Humor Beasts and hang out with those guys in fact I made a short film with um, Jermaine and Duncan Sarkis yeah right uh, called Ash which is yeah. still one of my favourite f- when, when Duncan Sarkis was trying to get into Sydney Film School yeah and it's a very very funny um, movie if you can ever, ever get hold of it um, but no we knew, we knew the Humor Beasts we knew yeah. them really well and we used to hang out all the time so you know, it just goes to show um, that if you're talented, there's no limit. There's no. Well, no, there isn't. <laughs> but they're quite, yeah, yeah, there oh, no, I, hear, I hear that, but I think what has changed, and I, maybe it's probably a number of things. It's 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 Peter Jackson. It's it's um, yeah, and I it's, think it's it's, it's um, HBO. However, that was wrangled picking up that show. I like, think a lot of all, uh, New Zealand actors have left New Zealand too. Yeah, yeah Mark and Chalk, uh, Martin Chalkis and, um, you know, Stu, what's his name, Henderson. Yeah. Uh, literally. And I think now, you know, when it comes to casting overseas, being, from New, Zealand, being from New Zealand is not a hindrance. We're on the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and technology, the internet, all of that's got to change. You know, because as, as I say, this does sort of nicely, um, you know, bookend what we're talking about sort of around the beginning and throughout it. And, that, you know, you're talking about that sort of time old thing of, of, of your folks' reaction to mm. wanting to go out and do that sort of stuff. I, I just think the the the... the Realistic, you know, uh, what one thinks they can achieve is, is is a lot different for someone who's twenty now in terms of what's been done. Oh yeah, there, there, guys... there's no there's no borders anymore. I no. don't think. You know, so I'm going to go to LA and get an agent. Look, thank yeah. you. When I looked at, you know, exactly how busy you are and so on, I'd, and uh, I think so much for coming in. Pleasure. I'm um, taking no an hour out to chat. Thanks to Mr. Lovegrove for teeing that up. Um, I'll have this uh, cut and ready to go in the next couple of days. 
Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers.